My name's Steve Mackey. I'm the owner pharmacist at Spruce Mountain Pharmacy in Jay. We're in the western mountains of Maine. We're about an hour and a half northwest of Portland. We're a hybrid pharmacy, so we're offering traditional retail pharmacy services plus compounding. We're using the computer RX software here to make us kind of unique in the market. We use the uh, RX Safe Rapid Pack script packaging program and hardware to make compliance packaging available for our patients who choose to have that as a service that we offer. When we brought the Rapid Pack pill packer into the system, we brought that in the same time we moved to the new building. And I remember seeing the machine roll in and I was over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pill packing machine is here. I am so excited for this. That pill packing system has been a growth point of my pharmacy. To learn more about how the RX Safe Rapid Pack system can help improve your pharmacy's efficiency and revenue, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy Podcast Nation. This is the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We're so excited to be back with the RX Safe team who's putting on today's um, gathering of some industry experts around long-term care, home care services and the expansion of, of home care and what that means for community pharmacy. We believe that local independent community pharmacies really have a much wider opportunity and role to play in home care and in the future of what's going to be happening with things like diagnostic services and remote patient monitoring. And historically, pharmacists have not been included sometimes in those home care teams, especially when we take a patient out of the hospital system into their homes and needing additional care. And they have to be there. Pharmacists have to be part of those teams, especially when we know that there are medical errors happening in the home. There is an opportunity for community pharmacies to deliver more home care services. And I want to bring on our guests and really excited about this. First of all, I want to introduce Rana Hauser. She's with the National Community Pharmacists Association. Welcome, Rana. How are you today? Hey, Todd. Great. Thanks for having me. I also want to introduce Susan Rhodes. Could you say hello to our listeners? This is the first time that you've been on with the show with me, and I'm excited to have you here. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Todd, for inviting me and having me on here. So let's kick it back to uh, Rana. Could you just give us a small, um, short summary background of yourself and your involvement with the NCPA? Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Todd. I'm a pharmacist by training. I've been with NCPA over 10 years. I'm advocating for independent pharmacies, uh, primarily in front of the federal agencies. So uh, our members have a problem with CMS, uh, I'll go to CMS and share those concerns. So the bulk of my time is spent advocating uh, on behalf of our membership in front of agencies such as FDA, DEA, CMS, et cetera. So happy to represent our wonderful membership. And uh, you know, about half of the LTC space um, care is provided by independently owned pharmacies. So uh, NCPA does have a long-term care division and uh, quite a few of our members, in, in addition to community-based care, they provide long-term care as well. Thank you. Uh, Susan, before we started recording, we were talking about the legacy of our 
business um, knowledge of each other and in my my world back in long-term care pharmacy software and you helping in the in the GPO and in buying space and the strategy that you've provided to many of your members and customers could you describe and share uh, with our with our listeners a little bit on your background sure um, I, I am also a pharmacist by training I've been in long-term care for about 38 years, worked for six years at a long-term care pharmacy in Virginia, and then have been at Jerry Bed for 32 years. Um, I'm the senior vice president of contracts and advocacy for Jerry Med. So I'm involved with a lot with Rana. Um, Rana and I work together a lot with trying to get advocacy for long-term care pharmacies. And we also are very, um, it, I'm also very involved with all the PBM negotiations, which is always not fun. Um, and then also with the manufacturers, the brand manufacturers to get better pricing for our members, both on the closed door side, as well as the combination side, someone who's doing both uh, retail business as well as long-term care under the same DEA. So we, we, we've we built the business a lot and we have um, always encouraged independence. The founder of Jerry Med, Joe Shuddy, started the business in 1983 and he's always been an advocate for independent pharmacies. And that was his goal was to make sure that they could stay in business. And I think the, the combo med pharmacies that we have now have really kind of accentuated that kind of what you're saying that they're the future of pharmacy as far as communities are concerned, because they can do the things that a lot of the big box stores can't do. Thank you for setting the stage for us because wow, pharmacy has changed. I mean, I remember entering long-term care pharmacy, um, Rana and Susan in 2004, and it was very distinct, the difference between skilled care, long-term care, assisted living, home care, long-term care, sometimes the campuses that community pharmacies were serving that ended up turning into a long-term care pharmacy would go to a campus that had different styles of care on that same campus. I think of Communicare in Ohio. They'll have uh, skilled, they'll have assisted living, they'll have uh, a neighborhood that has been now bought up. The homes were bought by the organization to give these people a very independent living feel. And now we're starting to evolve where more people need the type of services that long-term care pharmacies or the traditional long-term care pharmacies were very used to giving to their, um, to their patients or their communities. And many community pharmacies are already doing that, but uh, they're not getting compensated for it. So I want to dig into this today. This is a subject that I want to give a shout out to a pharmacy owner in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, because that's where I'm at. Uh, Sean Naren with um, with AcorRx. He he is searching for, and he's uh, going to be listening into this um, this podcast and an episode today. Really curious, like how do I grow that home care business side? of my community pharmacy. And right off the bat, I kind of want to jump into this. So I'm going to start out with um, with Rana and, and just what services through community pharmacy are primary to homebound patients? Where where do we start in, in trying to start to kind of def define this? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Todd. That's a great question. So NCPA has been advocating for several years, primarily in front of CMS to recognize these services. So these are services that are akin to uh, long-term care pharmacy services that are currently provided, uh, for instance, to Medicare Part D patients in a skilled nursing facility who need an institutionalized level of care. So what we have uh, done and how we've 
really advocated for this level of service and this level of care in the home setting is taking that core set of services that pharmacies are required to provide to long-term care residents in the Part D program. Uh, we've taken that core set of services and kind of overlaid them into the medical at home model and said, you know, pharmacies providing these services need to be able to provide all of the services they would uh, as if they were contracted as part of a Part D uh, long-term care network. Uh, minus the emergency kit, uh, that would be one obvious thing that you're not going to have to provide in a home, a home setting that you would otherwise in a skilled setting. But at a minimum, those are the services that should be provided um, and that every pharmacy participating, you know, at this level of service should be able to provide. Thank you for that, because I'm thinking of the types of services that are much more sensitive and need some hands on. Um, and I'm thinking of like IV um, therapies, home infusion, home-based immunizations. S Susan, where have you seen the evolution where it, the, the I don't want to use the term low-hanging fruit because I, I can't stand some, some of those kickers of, of expressions, but it really is. Like I want to find out how do we get our community pharmacies paid for the low-hanging fruit services that they're probably already providing that are very similar to the traditional long-term care pharmacy? Well, that's a big piece of what we've been working at on at JerryMed. I mean, we've been trying to get the PBMs to recognize that these are important services and it shouldn't matter where the patient lives. It's what services that that patient needs. And I definitely want to Emphasize the word emphasize the word needs because I think sometimes people think of this as more as convenience. Um, it's not the, the person who lives in a you know Joe Smith who lives in Florida and drives around in his golf cart. And he wants to golf every day. He'd rather do that than go to his community pharmacy to pick up his medications. If he can drive a golf cart, he can drive a car and he can go pick his medications up. So he would not qualify for being one of these patients. But if you know Mrs. Jones has got cognitive impairment and she has her spouse taking care of her and making sure she gets her meds every day and she's not able to leave her home because she has this cognitive impairment and alone she's not able to do that and she has to have someone helping her with her activities of daily living um, at least two of those then she could potentially be a candidate and I think these services that are really important to start out with are things like special packaging to make sure that they have the packaging done just like they do in long-term care whether that's a bingo card or a packaging that's uh, a strip packaging that's set up based on the time of the day that you take your medications. Um, it, it's 24/7 service that you can get a hold of a pharmacist and get treatment sent to you. It is IV medications, and and we have a lot of our pharmacies go well. I don't have an IV hood. I can't mix IVs. Well, that's okay. You just need to be able to contract and do a subcontract with someone who can, and it could be a hospital in your area who could potentially provide those services, or it could be a home infusion pharmacy that you contract with to be able to get those in case you need those. The chances of somebody in a, in a home really needing those IV services on a regular basis is probably gonna be pretty slim to none, but you have to have the ability to do that. That's part of the CMS guidelines for Medicare Part D for long-term care. So those are the things that you really need to do. And then also delivery, and, it, and it's not delivery of you know, a bunch of vials stuck in a, a white bag that you knock on the door and hand it to the person who enters it. That's not the idea. The idea is to provide way more services than that, including things like syncing up their medications and calling to the caregiver and the, and the prescribers on a regular basis to make sure that they have what they need, um, doing medication management, doing reconciliation if they do go to the hospital to make sure they're on the right medications. 
All of those things are very important in addition to providing those dispensing services. So now you say, how do you get paid? Well, that's the big, that's the big, um, I'll, I'll use one of yours. That's a big gorilla in the middle of the room yeah. is trying to get that to get paid. Um, we have been successful with a couple of small PBMs to get payment from them, um, but it's two very small ones. Um, we're, we kind of use them as precedent that somebody's already done this. Um, when we've been talking a lot to the Medicare Advantage side of that and also discussing a lot with, and I'll let Rana talk more about that, but with the coalition to try and get people to really understand that this is an important piece and that there's, there's savings for the healthcare system as well as providing better care to these patients and providing a mechanism for the pharmacies to make more money. All of those things are really important. So when I think of, you know, there's 71 million what called boomers in the United States, uh, 330 million people, uh, citizens in the United States and 71 million are baby boomers. That's huge. So, you know, when, I, when we ask the question, so why is this becoming more important? Well, the answer, I'll answer the question. I won't even have to ask you, um, uh, Rana. It's because of our population. I mean, the demographics of our populations are now demanding more home care services. So that traditional long-term care facility, um, it's, it, I, I don't know if it's as attractive as, as maybe it was in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or something. I don't know if people realize, hey, I could stay in my home and get the same quality of services in some cases, if it's not like deep skilled you know, services that are happening um, to that um, to that patient. But I want to kind of like extend off of what Susan was talking about, Rana, and really kind of dig into the gorilla in the room. And that is how do we how do we show Congress? How do we build policy state to state um, to show them and accelerate it because of our population's needs that, yes, pharmacists, community pharmacies, the ones that want to step up and be prepared to do so are more than capable of providing these clinical services and and how you know what what next to to get it to get it paid for yeah no absolutely you know having these services at least recognized and uh, there be a level of recognition that this is happening out there was a huge first step so as susan mentioned her and i worked closely over the years many years you know, trying to educate uh, CMS and other agencies and legislators, lawmakers all over the place about what long-term care pharmacy is. And again, that nearly half of the industry, you know, the care is provided by independently owned pharmacies, not the large corporate, you know, chain providers. So um, we've spent the last several years trying to educate CMS on what medical at home pharmacy services are. And we were very happy in December that they finally came out with a guidance. And I think uh, some of this was probably precipitated by COVID to your point, folks preferring to age in a home setting uh, not wanting to go into that uh, institutionalized setting. Uh, we want patients to have a choice. If they choose a setting and that best fits their needs, that's their choice. If they choose to remain in their home setting, but they otherwise need that institutionalized level of care, we want to be able to take care of them in their you know, setting of choice. So I think CMS recognized that too. And uh, this past December put out a guidance and is really an iterative process over the years. They've uh, you know, sort of added on to areas where uh, patients may need increased uh, special packaging needs. To Susan's point, that's a that's a key cornerstone of, of this service, and those uh, by nature are going to require um, you know higher higher cost services, higher fees paid to the pharmacies. So CMS at least recognized these services and said, like a skilled patient, like an assisted living patient, a patient otherwise needing 
this level of care and residing in their home uh, would be eligible for this higher uh, this higher level of uh, care and therefore you know a, a higher commensurate payment. Now we all know that CMS can't dictate payments and it's up to the you know folks like Susan uh, who spends a lot of her time trying to negotiate these higher rates, which we know um, you know those discussions are always ongoing. So that's just one area that we're trying to make inroads in is, is Part D, and primarily that would rely, you know, on the dispensing uh, fee side of the equation. But to your other point, you know, where else can we um, find patients? Can we make sure the best patients eligible for these services are getting them? Uh, one area that we've really looked at at the state-based level is patients that are covered under a home or community-based waiver. So we know the importance of those programs definitely grew during COVID. We know that um, the states may define those a bit differently, but in almost all cases, you know, there is a necessity uh, with uh, activities of daily living, you know, certain number that, that need to be assisted with, et cetera. So, and we know that there has been increased funding for these, these programs um, over the last several years and, and very recently. So we do see opportunities at the state level to uh, work with uh, you know, folks that are, they have um, access to home and community-based waiver services, uh, maybe the service component to these services, right? The drugs are paid by Part D itself, uh, by CMS, by Medicare Part D, but there might be a service component, you know, payment um, to these services. So that's just a few of the ideas that we've been working on. And uh, not to get ahead of us, Susan and I can talk about this in a little bit, but we've recently joined forces with some other long-term care pharmacy-related organizations uh, to form a coalition to uh, build more strength and more effort and more you know, cohesion around advocating um, for this level of service and its recognition. So I think I'm gonna go back to what you were saying, Susan, about um, special packaging to make it as simple as possible when a, um, when a person is on a medication day in and day out, as well as the timing of that medication, 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 4 p.m., whatever it is, how is that being recognized by CMS as a true benefit to the patient to keep them compliant, to keep them adherent so that they stay healthy, they stay even more mobile than they might already be based on that medication? Is, is that a part of this where you're showing them, hey, here's the compliancy packaging, here's why this is so important. Um, we wanna make sure that our community pharmacies are getting compensated for providing these services. Yes, of course, it's it's an important piece. I mean, it's been important for long-term care forever. I mean, the long-term care communities have done this since the late 70s, um, where they have done this pa packaging and sent it out. I mean, when I worked at the long-term care pharmacy in Virginia, we actually did 24-hour unit dose, which was a pretty intense thing that no one could do now based just on cost. Um, but that's an important piece because if you're not increasing the compliance and the adherence for those patients. If they're not taking their medications the way they're supposed to, you're just going to increase the cost when they by having them end up in the ER or in the hospital. And so anything you can do to get them to be more compliant with their medications and or to make sure they don't have any drug errors, because drug errors cost a lot of money, billions of dollars, is really important. And I wanted to bring out one other point too. You know, there's 1.3 million skilled beds today in the United States. No one's building nursing homes. It's not going to happen. And based on what you said, 71 million um, baby boomers, you know, in the year 2040, we're supposed to have the most people over the age of 80. The average age in a nursing home is about 85. So if you think about you have all these people over that age and that need care, where are they going to go? Even if they have a choice in the matter, there may not be a bed available for them at that time because there's not going to be any more built. 
So we've got to figure out a way to take care of these patients and take care of these people better than we're doing today because we want them to be able to have a good quality of life and be able to do things for as long as they can. And this is really the only way that we're going to be able to financially be able to do it. We can't afford to build, you know, 10 times the number of nursing homes, which is probably what you would need. It's probably like 13 million beds, not 1.3 million beds. So that's not going to happen. So this is the answer to that. And I think I think part of the problem with just getting people to understand this is that, you know, everyone thinks of pharmacy as a commodity and, a, and getting a drug out to someone and not as a uh, professional healthcare service. They don't see it that way. I think we've come a long way with COVID vaccines and all the stuff that's happened with that. And that's helped this to for people to understand that pharmacists can do more than just, you know, count a bunch of pills and stick them in a bottle. So I think that that's a really important piece with this too. So I'm thinking as you're, as you're talking, uh, Rana and Susan, about criteria and identifying the patient who is ready for additional services that they don't want to move out of their home. They're not, they're, they can't, just like you said, um, uh, Susan, there's no beds available in their area. So they're, they're not even at that capacity. They're, they're more of an assisted living candidate that they can go out and do some planning in their garden. They want to stay at home. They see their family once in a while. Maybe there's a home care agency that comes in and, and, you know, and starts to help them with bathing and, and some simplistic things, maybe some home care, but that pharmacy component has to continue to be there. So let's talk about criteria. Let's talk about how do we, where's the line where CMS or a payment mechanism or the PBM would say, okay, this patient is definitely candidate for specific home care services. What is that criteria? Um, What have you seen, Rana, and when you're presenting this to to CMS and, and to Congress, what's the criteria? Sure, sure, Todd. And this is something that we're still, you know, working through. I don't think there is a defined, you know, set of criteria that we've all landed on yet. Uh, as I mentioned, we're, we've recently formed a coalition and we're having ongoing discussion about that best set of criteria. I would say for our discussions to date, you know, most of the dialogue was around, um, you know, ways that we could find patients easily that would most obviously be a candidate for these services which gets me back to the the point earlier about the home and community-based waiver patients. You know, would there be a way to flag this patient so the Medicare Part D plan would know they were a, you know, waiver patient who required this higher, you know, level of care in the home? And that would just be one, you know, seemingly easy target, right, to go after to say those patients should be eligible for these services. Um, You know, I'll let Susan talk about some of the further ongoing discussions because I know she's had a lot of discussions about the best way to, to stratify patients. But uh, it's definitely something that's ongoing. I would say that, you know, we don't have the perfect answer yet, not, nor that there will be ever a perfect answer, but we definitely have some guideposts that we've been discussing. Almost like I'm coming up with like a the home care certification. And now if you pass the, you're a community mm-hmm. pharmacy. If you go to this, I don't know who's going to control it, CMS or something, or, hey, if you fill out this application and you fit you know, the services that we require you to be able, be able to deliver, just like uh, Susan was saying, sometimes and you know, very small percentage would need an IV, but if you have the abilities to deliver that, even with partnerships, now you become a certified home care pharmacy. 
Susan, is that the way to go about this? Come out with some kind of certification that assures the paying entity that they're able to deliver those specific services? Actually, that piece of it technically is already there because CMS has a list of 10 criteria, which include two of those are uh, regarding that emergency kit, which we would knock those out. So you're talking eight different criteria that they have to follow. And in order to belong to a long-term care network, you have to sign off saying that you're able to do those criteria that are on that list. So if you can't do those and you don't sign up for the network, then you're not in the network. If you sign up for them, then you're in. So it's not super difficult to do that if you're able to do all those things. And again, those things that are most important on that list are, you know, delivering of medications, the packaging of the medications, the 24-7 availability of the pharmacy and the pharmacist. Um, so those are all the things that are really important to, to make sure that you can do. If you can't do those things, then you really don't qualify. And then we're talking about being able to do other services as well, like we talked about medication management, the reconciliation, the sinking of the meds, which a lot of community pharmacies are already doing. So there really isn't a lot of extra things they would need to do. They would need to be qualified as a long-term care pharmacy to qualify. Now, the patients are another another dilemma. And they really have been kind of hard to make sure that we get that. And it really needs to be a national criteria because otherwise we're in big trouble. Um, we, are, we definitely are gonna have, we could have a different one for every PBM that's out there. And if we had different ones for every PBM, we would have an absolute nightmare for the pharmacist to determine what they have to fill out for which Part D plan. So I think having a national basis to determine those criteria is going to be really important. And like, like Rana said, we're in the middle of discussing that right now. But things like, you know, needing help with two ADLs, which is activities of daily living per day, things like toileting, dressing, uh, feeding them, um, you know, taking medications, getting transportation to go get things like groceries, keeping your house maintained, things like cleaning your house, those type of things are all parts of those activities of daily living. So, and usually to get into a facility, you have to have issues with two of those or more. Most people who are in a nursing home probably have more than that. I mean, the number one reason to go in a nursing home is that you're incontinent. So that's kind of things that people look at to get institutionalized. Um, and then things like you're homebound, you can't leave your home without having someone assist you in doing that. So those are the kind of things I think that are going to be really important on that list. And I think that's an ongoing thing. Like Rana says, we're never going to have a perfect list, but we can definitely work at it to have something that the government can say, yes, we agree with this. Hey, I want to welcome uh, Joe Williams to the conversation, a pharmacy owner. What better person to be jumping into this conversation, owner of Brisson Drugs in St. Paul's, North Carolina. Um, welcome, Joe. Thanks, John. Hope you're well. Hey, everybody. Doing great. So we're talking about long-term care services that are being now injected into the home and it being delivered by community pharmacy. And there's a blending of that uh, firewall between community pharmacy and long-term care, um, you know, as, as a standalone long-term care closed-door pharmacy. But 71 million baby boomers, goodness sakes. So we know that pharmacies, community pharmacies have to be ready, prepared, and also get paid for the services that they can deliver to these homebound um, patients that don't want to move out of their home. There's no facilities to take them in or give them a bed for anyway. So talk to me about your experience as a pharmacy owner and what you're doing uh, for those patients and 
and the, and the navigation of the beast, which is, hey, we got to get we got to get our pharmacies paid to deliver these services. Sure thing. So, and, and thank you again for having me, everybody. Uh, you know, you you kind of hit the nail on your head when you referenced the baby boomer. You, you know, the, that generation that we're going through now is one of the largest generations to have ever lived, and they're at an age now where they're they're kind of at that tipping point of what's going to happen next to them. Now, you know, I know that my parents and I have had this conversation and they're pretty adamant that they never want to be placed into a facility. But, you know, I'm like so many other people now that I have a busy lifestyle myself. I work probably way more than I should. So the idea of me being able to constantly care for my parents around the clock is not really the best plan. And so trying to keep them at home or keep them in a, in a, in a private home you've got to look for some ways to close some of the gaps that they may be dealing with. So a couple of years ago, we came up with a program called MedSmart that was intended to fill and close some of these gaps. Originally, it was intended just for our general population where we are uh, in southeastern North Carolina, where we discovered that the biggest concerns and issues that most patients faced were lack of transportation and medication noncompliance. So we started building this program to really solve those two problems with free delivery, free compliance packaging, and then a more intimate relationship with the patient and the providers that were prescribing their medications. And, and what we found as we started doing this is that there was a huge demand for this, not only with, say, transitional care patients who were leaving the hospital, where we were receiving referrals from those hospital systems, hey, help us keep these patients out, but also amongst um, geriatric providers themselves. And then, and I think this is going to help with, with what Susan and Rona were discussing. We were getting a lot of referrals from, from, um, God, my mind just went completely blank, from uh, home health agencies. So again, the kind of folks that I would probably be talking with when my parents are remaining in the home, someone that can go by and help them with their ADLs, you know, those activities of daily living, kind of help to provide them with the additional support that they need. Both, and these, these services are available on a commercial basis. They're paid by some payers, depending on what's going on in the patient's life. But there's also a lot of those that do this private pay as well. And so having a relationship with those kinds of folks that are going out and helping this particular patient population opened our eyes up to the, really, the need for this to, to expand just beyond your traditional physician referral or your traditional um, hospital discharge referral. And, and the great thing about, like what Susan's mentioned, and, and Susan is a, is a, a very, uh, how should I say this? She has a great attention to detail, and she understands that there's certain obligations that we have as providers to make sure that we're doing everything the right way. And she pointed out that, that two ADL list. Well, nine times out of 10, if they're being cared for by some of these home health agencies, those ADLs are already there. There's that demand, and you're simply going to make that patient's life easier. And for the and really for that matter, you're going to make the job of that that uh, person who's helping them with those ADLs even that much easier. Because a lot of times the medication compliance piece is something that they struggle with as well. I'm glad you brought that up because it's starting to kind of boil this down to an actionable of what's next. How do we do this next? And I and I love the. The, the med smart packaging because it makes it it makes it very marketable to um, um, a family that says hey my mom is 79 years old she can't leave her home she needs simplicity she's on um, eight medications per day that she must be on how do we how do we simplify that and it comes back to 
all right, now how do you deliver that to um, the the home, number one? Number two, how are we getting paid for it? So talk to us about your organization, Joe, and your home care services and, and how you're navigating that to ensure that you're getting paid. Okay, so um, yeah, happy to do that. So, so originally when we started out, um, we, it all started with one patient. And uh, we originally started with multi-dose blisters because it was, uh, there was no barrier to, barriers to entry. It was very inexpensive to jump into. And we were, we were really caught off guard by the demand, like I said before. So we grew so fast that the rate-limiting step was what our pharmacists were capable of kind of checking. Um, I, I had four and five techs that were assembling multi-dose blisters around the clock, and they could, I mean, they could fly through them. You know, they did a fantastic job. And, and there were little, little to no errors. You know, there were the occasional human error. But then as a pharmacist, I would have stacks on my counters of all these compliance packaging that, and we went through every single sale. And so we were just getting really bogged down and we started looking for solutions to that because for most things to be successful, they have to be scalable. You know, you have to be able to continue to provide the service and you have to either you have to either really be super intense in, in a specific region or you have to expand that region to give you what you need. And so we actually have expanded at this point out to nine counties in southeastern North Carolina. And I'm, the solution that allowed us to do that was the RxA for Avid Pack. Uh, we found that once we kind of capped out with um, multi-dose blister that we needed a better solution. We really needed a way that we could streamline the, uh, the, the check process, the verification process, and, and the safe has been the system that we found has been the best for us to do that. Beyond that, uh, it, was, it was a matter of transportation. It was a matter of, of having a plan. If you've ever heard me talk about our delivery model, we began with the end in mind. Like I knew five years ago that I was going to be covering Southeastern North Carolina. And we started building a delivery model that was going to accommodate one day. And then we allowed ourselves to grow into it, keeping those efficient, those necessary efficiencies in mind so that it was going to be scalable long-term. That's, that's some of the biggest um, uh, obstacles that most owners face is, is having a streamlined process for acquiring the patient's unwrapping the patients, getting the packaging done in a timely fashion, and then being able to get that back out to those patients in, in a reasonable amount of time. Because once you take the Monus compliance packaging patients, at least this is how it is in my store, I take responsibility that their next dose, their next time dose is never, ever going to be late. Um, we've, we've experienced massive flooding, hurricanes, all of these things. And we can proudly say that no patient has ever missed a dose because of us. We, we just, we've done everything to make sure that they had it. So you really have to kind of be prepared for the unforeseen. You have to be prepared for more demand than you expect to be there. Uh, and then you have to be available to those patients because you're going to find that when it comes to your patients who are in these programs, you become a lot more intimately involved with them than you do some of the patients that you may only see every 30 or 90 days that are walking in your store on the sink. Because you, you are taking responsibility for every dose, every med pass time, everything. But that's what we want as independent pharmacies. We want to be connected to our patients, and it's a beautiful way to do it. Thank you, uh, Joe, for sharing that. So pharmacy owners, listen, listen, listen. So 
if you haven't scheduled your whatever cyclical time you put this on, maybe it's once a year, maybe it's once every other year, a meeting with your congressperson, you're in your district, you find them, you reach out to them, you invite them to tour your community pharmacy and say, hey, I am providing X number of patients, whatever the number that is, home care services with this compliancy packaging, here's how it works, here's why it's so important to keep these people safe without having to go back into a hospital and then spiraling costs, of course, explode because they're not on their meds and they're not doing things correctly. This brings me back to the NCPA and RANA and, and the efforts in, in NCPA, and that is, tell us about the legislation efforts now um, around compensation for community pharmacies that are uh, delivering um, uh, you know, long-term care services. And we kind of started out talking about it, but can you kind of drill down into what's happening? And then let's give a call out to the pharmacy owners listening right now to take this information from the NCPA and invite a, a congressperson into your pharmacy to really listen to this to kind of accelerate it. Yeah, no, Todd, thanks for the plug there because it's great timing because uh, this year NCPA, we didn't have an official fly in uh, to DC this year. We decided instead that it was more important to get members of Congress into our member stores in August. So we're less than a month away to August. Uh, we're calling it our month of action at NCPA. We have a lot of information on it on our website. So please invite your US Congress man, Congresswoman, invite your senator, uh, your US senators into your stores in August and get them into your pharmacies and tell them what you do. Uh, a lot of people are retiring from Congress. There'll be a lot of new faces uh, next Congress. We'll be getting new bills introduced. We have like a wipe the slate, you know, fresh start for the new Congress. So uh, lots of work to done, lot to be done and lots of education. So, you know, please get those folks into your pharmacies this summer uh, when they're back home in August. And uh, to answer your question about what we're doing to get these services recognized and paid for, as I mentioned, uh, NCPA and our long-term care division has joined forces with ASCP, the American Society for Consultant Pharmacists, and with SCPC, the senior uh, pharmacy coalition uh, that represents the you know, more regionally owned, independently owned long-term care pharmacies. So a lot of membership crossover. Uh, senior Care Pharmacy Coalition, SCPC, ASCP, and NCPA all have joint members uh, that you know overflow. We're all in this together. And we decided it would be perfect timing for us to join forces and uh, work on this together. So uh, we just started, um, uh, hired a firm to run the coalition and are in beginning stages of answering all the questions that we've been talking about here today, right? You know, who are we? What are we offering? You know, the who is easier, right? Who are we? What are we offering? Pretty easy. Uh, the patient stratification, right? That's something we're still working on, like we mentioned, uh, patient eligibility. I mean, the payer, right? Who's our target uh, when we're talking about payment? And inevitably, you know, Medicare, Medicaid to an extent, but we're really trying to package uh, this into uh, an ask that we can take uh, to policymakers and to legislators and uh, have a package to present to them and show the value of these services and the long-term savings that are associated with these uh, specialized pharmacy services in patients' homes. So uh, stay tuned for a lot more to come. We should be making some more announcements about the coalition efforts uh, soon. Like I said, it's just in its infant stages here over the last few weeks. But I'm very excited. You know, I think we can do more together. So, I'm so excited to hear about that unification. You know, when I first entered pharmacy, it was one of the questions in my mind, you know, why the national associations for specific efforts 
um, weren't coming together more often to really work together. And now it seems like it's accelerating. So it's kind of a new age of pharmacy where I, I see so many things in positive change from the Supreme Court's taking notice of PBM reform to, um, you know, pharmacogenomics coming in as clinical um, diagnostic tools. And now we have Chad Wurz and Doug Huey and Alan uh, Rosenblum, uh, the three heads of those three associations that you talked about really coming together for the, the good of um, our pharmacy care and more importantly, our patients to ensure that things are getting done um, at a at a law a, a law and policy perspective, so we can get these pharmacies paid for the services that they're doing. Otherwise, they're they're going to go the way of of fast food pharmacy in some ways, and 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 then you're not going to get the services that that they're used to because of what the community pharmacy has catered and designed as custom pharmacy services. So. I'm so excited to hear that, uh, Rana, and, and I applaud the NCPA for doing that. I do want to come back to Susan because you kind of tickled and, and, and teased our listeners with something that I want to dig into, and that is the formation of a new coalition assisted with legislation and regulations for LTC pharmacy services recognized by our government um, you know, policy leaders and developers. Can you kind of talk to and, and share that with our listeners of of what that is and, and how they might even be able to get involved and or support. Well, that goes back to the coalition that, that Rana was talking about. And yes, they can definitely. We're, we're right now getting the formation of that together so that we can have any pharmacies that are interested in helping with this, that they can participate. So we will have availability for people who are interested to, to participate in the coalition and to give their two cents. Um, as to what we should be doing and how we should be putting it together. And I think the idea of bringing your congressperson into your, your store today is a really important piece. I think if you could show them what you're doing and get them to understand why it's so important, I think that would be great. You know, long-term care pharmacy in general has always been, you know, a niche piece of it and no one really understands it unless you're doing it. So I think it's really important that this piece of it, because I really do believe it is long-term care, it's just in a different setting, they really need to understand what you're doing and how you're doing it. Because if they don't get it, um, they, they're, they're not gonna listen to anything about it. The amazing thing about this too is, everyone has a relative or a friend or someone who is an elderly person who needs care, regardless of how old they are. And you know, even before this time, when we've met with Congress people and talked about it, they're all like, oh yeah, my mom, she really could use these kind of services in her home. Or my grandmother over here really, you know, she fell and broke her hip and now she can't do anything in her house. So I think it's really important to make sure that people understand how this can really help our population. You know, 71 million people is a lot of people to make sure you're taken care of and that they get the services that they need. And, and I think that was a big piece of why CMS took forever to give us the direction that they did in their December memo was because they we're looking at this and thinking that we were gonna do anyone over the age of 65 that qualified for Medicare was gonna qualify for this program. And that was never the intent of this. The intent was for people who really need to get this care and take care of them appropriately. That was the big deal with this. And, and just so you know too, you can take advantage of some programs out there. Like I said, Jerry Med actually has two uh, PBMs that are paying for medical at home services at the same rate as skilled care. Um, they're doing that today. And then also we have several of the uh, PBMs who you get a retail rate, but you don't have any DIR fees involved in it. 
So it is something that you can definitely benefit today by doing this and by joining a long-term care network. Um, you can save money by doing that and you can make more money by doing that because you're not gonna have DIR fees on, on those claims. So some of them, unfortunately, still have DIR fees on them. Um, it's limited, you'd have to talk to somebody to really understand that, but the, you know, the big deal is, is there are opportunities today. It's not where we want it to be. It's not all the plans and all the PBMs, but you can get some benefit out there today. Joe, um, you have yeah. something to say, and I want to hear, I have more questions for you as a pharmacy owner too. So please uh, pipe in. I just want to piggyback on what Susan just said there. Um, you know, it's not applicable to every plan. LTC rates are not applicable to every plan. DIR, um, you know, avoidance is not applicable to every plan. But uh, when I first started looking at doing a combo shop program in my store, we are in, um, I'm honest to goodness, we're in the poorest county in the state of North Carolina. And so we have a, a very significant patient population that are um, dual eligible patients, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, and, and generally speaking, amongst that patient population, you will find that there is a great deal need uh, for more, more assistance for that particular patient population. When we did our review, of those that were applicable to these additional benefits that Susan just hinted upon, it, it pretty much will cash flows my entire MedSmart um, program and savings of DIR alone. Because the one of the major ones that can that you can have DIR fee avoidance with, they're a major player in a lot of your um, low income areas, and those are those patients that are most applicable to your plan who have the need for the assistance assistance with the ADLs. And so if you if you don't feel like, you know, oh, well, I don't I'm not I'm not going to have this or I'm not going to have that. When you're thinking about these plans, you need to do your due diligence, look at your payer mix, have a conversation with Susan and some of the rest of the team over there. And they can really open your eyes to the impact that a program like theirs can have on the bottom line of the pharmacy and how you can now justify doing these extra things for some of the patients that really need the most help in your market. Because honest, honestly, if, if independents don't do it they're not going to get what they need most of these patients. And I'm sorry, you had some more questions for me, but I, I just oh, Susan I, brought I, that up and I wanted to, you know, jump right on that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm looking at you um, during the, this, this interview as, as kind of like our, our coach. And I'm, I'm thinking of all the listeners that are listening right now that know that they want to expand services. They want to do more for their community. They want to dig into this you know, what do you, what do you tell them? How do you tell them to kind of make the steps that are necessary to deliver good services that make sense, that provide value, but also get them the, the, the reimbursement that they need, that the, the payment that they need? Well, absolutely. I, you know, in, in a program like MedSmarter and, and the way that I run all of my stores in general is I, I start by telling everybody, the first thing you need to do is you need to take three steps back. Okay. Don't, don't, Put your blinders on. Don't, you know, have tunnel vision when you're looking at a patient. You have to step back and you look at, you have to look at everything that's going on, right? So, so number one, you know, a lot of times it may start with just plan selection for the patient. Are they in the best plan for them where they're getting the most benefits out of it? Uh, you know, I've had this conversation with others that sometimes you'll find that the absolute best plan for the patient is also the one that creates the most opportunities. Uh, for instance, in our market, one of the ones that has no DIR is generally speaking the one that also has the most 
secondary benefits to patients in addition to the lowest out-of-pocket costs for them. So you're doing them a massive favor by doing this. And then on the backside, you and your pharmacy, you have no out-of-pocket um, DIRs. So it's like the, the win-win scenarios. So, and then sometimes you might need to say, okay, are we doing compliance packaging? Are we doing delivery? Are we doing any in-home detailing for these patients? Are we going out and giving COVID vaccines and then saying, you know, I'm so glad that you're allowing me to come into your home today and help you. By the way, I think this other program that we have would also benefit for you. I've never had a patient tell me that they were not interested in MedSmart when I was standing by their bedside giving them a vaccine. I have never been turned down. And so I think we're, you guys are, I'm sorry, I'm sticking to every pharmacist in the country right now. Pharmacists are already out there going above and beyond every day in most cases. And, but what we really are terrible at is we're not the best advocates for ourselves. And we're terrible marketers when it comes to what we can provide the patient. So if I'm somebody that doesn't know what to do, number one, I need to know what my story is. I need to know how I'm different and I need to know what I'm willing to do to make my patient's lives better. And then you have to tell everybody that will listen to you. And I mean, if that's through marketing services, that's through word of mouth, that's through your elevator pitch, whatever you have, you never need to stop telling your story. It just, people need to be, oh God, there comes Joe. He's going to talk to me about MedSmart. It, it needs to be to that level until they sign up their aunt, their mother, their grandmother, their neighbor, whoever else that they know. And I find that that's, that's one of the biggest hiccups that a lot of pharmacists have is they don't tell their story. So Go out, find out what your needs are. Talk to that, um, that home health agency down the street and ask them, what's your biggest hurdle and how could I help you? Nine times out of 10, they're going to say, well, if you could do A, B, and C, and then you turn around and say, well, heck, we're already doing that, and they're down the street from you. I have a massive LTC, or not LTC, a massive home health agency that I, is on the other side of my, the wall of my building. They're literally next door to me. And one day the guy and I are just taking our trash to the dumpster at the same time. And he's starting to talk to me about this problem that he's having with the pharmacy. I said, you don't know that I do that? Because I know I've told all of your employees that. He's like, no, I had no idea. Next thing we know, bam, here come referrals from their office. So tell the story. Just make sure that everybody knows what you're willing to do. And, and you'll be shocked at, at the demand that you'll find that's out there for what you're already providing for maybe for free. That's awesome. Um, I appreciate that, uh, Joe, and appreciate what you're doing in your community. Uh, Rana, I, I kind of want to come back to you one more time as we're, we're getting ready to, to wrap up the, the recording and, and the podcast. And that is, you know, what directives do you have to our listener that is frustrated? Maybe they are providing some of these services. What can they do in, in partnership with the NCPA, and then the other associations that you've met, you've mentioned, um, the ACP, the ASCP, the SCPC, all this alphabet soup organizations. But how do they how do they work with you to to get um, paid to get yeah. uh, the you know the the understanding of of this side of of what their business could expand into. Yeah, I would just say get engaged. You know, if you're not already part of professional organizations like NCPA. Just get engaged with us. We offer tons of educational opportunities. We make the connections for you uh, with groups like Susan's who are strong supporters of NCPA. We work very closely with uh, business partners in the long-term care space who can help you, uh, you know, further your opportunities through the dialogue they're already having with payers, you know, maybe bring some uh, opportunities to your door that you weren't aware of. 
the technology partners like the RX safes that we work very closely with, you know, they can, you know, expand your horizons when you, um, you know, get in the game and participate within CPA, right? You know, it's, it's coming to a show, it's participating on some calls, um, you know, it's, it's as simple as that sometimes. And the people you meet uh, from across the country that you might not know, it's sharing those ideas, you know, it's sitting down at Shoot the Breeze sessions and having one-on-ones with your colleagues in other states and other areas and learning from them. And we try to offer those opportunities, you know, virtual and in person. And like I said, uh, besides the, you know, speaking with your own, you know, colleagues and your peer-to-peer stuff, get those members of Congress into your stores, especially I would say for these purposes. And as we're working at a federal, you know, national level with the national orgs to try to get this service better defined and recognized and paid for, get your U.S. representatives and your U.S. senators into your pharmacies and call their offices and just bug them. Say, I know they're going to be home in August. I know there's a break. I know there's a recess. I'd like, I want them to come into my store. I'm in your district. My pharmacy is an important part of your district and serves a lot of your constituents. I want to show you what I do every day. And healthcare is important. So come into my pharmacy. Um, go to ncpa.org. Uh, we have lots of information on there about how you do these visits. And we want to make that connection with you so we can make sure and follow up with the office when you've had the visit. So uh, please, please, please get those members in August into your stores. Thanks. You're very, very welcome. Um, Susan, it's been an honor to have you part of this conversation. I also want to applaud the efforts um, of of your 30 plus years of, of really being an advocate for uh, pharmacies, being an advocate for pharmacy owners. Long-term care is complex and understanding how to navigate it state to state could be different. And I think GeriMed provides that directive and the, the guidelines and, and the coaching. So um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And Joe, um, you know, it's it's been great talking with you. We have to have you back and kind of dig into this. But in in closing, Joe, I do want to mention you chose a specific organization and partner to kind of dig into the adherence and automation solution that would meet that requirement um, of of both uh, prescription uh, medications, but also the world of of supplement educations and giving our, our patient a constant hum of 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 medications that they need to stay adherent and you chose the the rapid paddock rx with with rx safe and and they've been an amazing partner of our publication but they've also been an amazing partner of community pharmacies out there that help them make the transition from strictly community to getting into uh, long-term care and home care services so in closing today i just i just want to give you the floor and 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 talk to our listeners just a little bit about that Absolutely. No, I, uh, it was a, it was a very, um, when I'm, when I was ready to make the decision about what machine I was going to be working with or what company I was going to be doing business with in the compliance packaging world, it was not an easy decision for me. I, I went through at the time, there were three major players, uh, and I really did my due diligence and kind of digging through all of the opportunities that those types of machines were going to provide. And in nearly every single category, RXA stood out. It just, it was the overwhelming winner in my mind of the route that I needed to go for my stores. And, and I'm so glad that I did that. Honestly, since, since we were onboarded, um, the software has only gotten better. The hardware has only gotten better. Um, the, the joint marketing efforts through RX safe, the team that they have that's constantly attempting to support us and help us move in the right direction. 
they, they've been a sounding board for my ideas, and they've been wonderful at connecting me with other like-minded pharmacists around the country that are maybe a, maybe a little bit ahead of me in certain categories, like LTC, like combo shops, you know, these things. I can call them and I can say, who's doing this really, really well? And they know who the players are because they have such a good relationship with all of their users. And 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 that's 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 what a good company is going to do. They want to see every member be successful. And then eventually, you know, we all become sounding boards for them because we've been so fortunate, you know, to do business with them. Uh, and then once with the addition of Jerry Med on top of that, it, it's just been a, it's been a beautiful thing for the business model uh, for so many stores across the country that with those two things go together, it, it, it's, 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 it's hard to describe because I don't want to give away too many details. And Susan already told me I can't say too many details, but I'm just telling you, it's, it, it just makes sense. It just absolutely makes sense to, to, to look at both of these companies when you're, when you're thinking compliance packaging, you're thinking of patient outreach, you're thinking about all of the things that you want to do for your patients. This is the, this is the best way that I have found to do that. And, and, you know, even, even outside of, and you brought up the, like the supplements and things, even through COVID, um, the SAFE has helped us, the ARC SAFE Rapid Pack has helped us to stand out. We've done programs for large employers, for community groups. Uh, the COVID, we just started building COVID packs and, and selling those over the counter. We still have patients today that are coming back through our drive-throughs. Patients that are not even ours at the pharmacy for whatever reason, maybe they don't even take prescription drugs, just pull up through our drive-through window. Hey, can I get a COVID pack? And 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 the break the great thing about that is all of our boxes are branded. So every COVID pack that's in every plan out there that we service or every home health agency that their nurses are taking it with them every day, that's advertising for our stores. And that's letting people know that we're the pharmacy that's going to go the extra mile to create the programs to improve the population of everybody around us. So yeah, it's I couldn't dream of a better um, relationship with the company than we have with RXA. That's awesome. A oh, huge shout out to RxSafe. Thank you so much for sponsoring uh, this conversation, this panel discussion around uh, the complexities of, of getting paid and, and being able to grow your business as a community pharmacy, delivering long-term care and home care services to your community. Uh, thank you, Susan. Thank you, Rana. Thank you, Joe. Um, and, a, and a big shout out to the RxSafe team. Thank you so much for what you do for our community pharmacies and pharmacists out there, pharmacy owners out there, reach out to the RxSafe team and ask them. I mean, even if you're not in the market for um, a rapid pack or a, or a compliancy um, you know, system right now, I think you should start thinking about, um, you know, in getting ready to invest in this, but reach out to them and then reach out to Rana and, and Susan and, and ask questions to prepare uh, to level up because there's a big opportunity coming with 71 billion baby boomers out there that are going to need more and more services as we move uh, further into this. So thank you pharmacists, pharmacies for what you do for our communities and our nation keeping us healthy and safe. And with that, we'll talk to you next time.